This episode of the Cloudcast is sponsored by PagerDuty. Folks, if you work in IT ops, IT administration, you've got to know PagerDuty. PagerDuty eliminates the noise, chaos, and manual processes across the entire incident lifecycle. All the stuff that keeps you up at night, all the stuff that's complicated when applications fail and networks fail. And let's be honest, it happens. So PagerDuty is trusted by companies like Etsy, Nike, and GitHub, and a whole bunch of other companies that you guys know and trust on the internet. So to sign up for a free 30-day trial, visit www.pagerduty.com. And now, on to the show. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast, coming to you live from Raleigh, North Carolina. And as we've been talking about, you know, we're kind of shifting the show. We're going to focus much more around, you know, a couple of different areas, one of those being the ecosystem that's being created around the biggest public clouds that are out there. And before I introduce my guest, my guest I've got to tell a little bit of a funny story because I was out at the AWS reInvent conference last November, uh, was kind of going around to the booths you know, looking, talking to a bunch of interesting companies. And, you know, as part of that, you always end up picking up t-shirts and stuff and uh, picked up a shirt from this little security company. They were brand new. They were literally just, you know, just gotten funded and, uh, you know, talked to a couple of the guys, grabbed the shirt. And my daughters have been wearing this shirt from this company called evident.io forever. And I've seen the back of the shirt for the last X number of months. They love the shirt. And I don't know, a couple of months ago, I'm, I'm watching Twitter as we do late at night and whatever, and I, and I see this real interesting conversation going on, and this guy jumps on, and he throws in this very interesting, well-established sort of talk about, about security around cloud. So it's not the typical sort of like, security's bad, security's good, it's this well-mannered thing. I go look him up, it's Tim Pendergrass. Uh, I realize, oh, okay, not only is he the founder and CEO of Event.io, but my daughter's been wearing the Event.io shirt. So uh, I've been a fan of your, of, your, of your clothing line here for many months and uh, excited to have Tim on the show to talk security because he's got a ton of really good background. So Tim, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you, Brian. I, I always said, you know, if security doesn't work out, we'll become the FUBU of cloud. Maybe that might work out. There you go. And uh, yeah, my daughters, you know, I told my daughters that you guys were coming on tonight and they're like, tell them we really like the shirt. It's nice and soft. It's a great bedtime shirt. So anyways, uh, we, we will get we will get into much more than T-shirts tonight. Yeah, superb. I know, you know, we'll have new shirts at reInvent this year. So you'll be able to go back to them every year and say, hey, look, That's more right. great T-shirts. That's right. Works out. That's right. I'll tell them. I remember when they were really little, and now they're huge, and uh, they're off uh, making millions and million dollars. So let's let's talk a little bit about 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 evident. But let's first talk about you. You know, in your background, because you've got a ton of security background uh, at some pretty big places. So so tell folks a little bit about yourself and, and where you came from before starting this company. Yeah. So uh, my background goes back. Uh, it's really kind of funny. You know, I grew up on literally a small cattle farm in the Southwest U.S. Um, my father did professional rodeo, and I said to myself as a child, what's the furthest I could possibly go from that career path? Um, and uh, it ended up being information security. And so uh, I was fortunate to, you know, my parents were very forward-thinking, got a computer when we were young, and I spent my summers, a lot of my time on there, and I just kind of fell in love with the whole computer phenomenon. And I realized I could, you know, make a good living doing this, using the skills that I'd built up over time. Um, 
what's really interesting is my uh, early days in the Silicon Valley were working for PGP Security at Network Associates, which is uh, now McAfee bought by Intel. Uh, but I worked on some pretty complicated security products, including uh, uh, PKI infrastructure, the early IDS IPS systems, and uh, really learned quite a quite an amount in just a few short years. And then <clears throat> around 2006, when AWS had first come around, I actually kind of really latched onto that concept because I was at the point where I was managing teams running technology operations. I had both security and network architecture and uh, data center management all under one kind of realm. And it just really made sense to me to get away from doing all this very heavy lifting management of, uh, of infrastructure and data center at a very low level. Like, you know, it's like utilities. I don't manage my power company and things like that. Yep. And uh, then I latched on the cloud at that point. And so my progression has really always been InfoSec driven technology, but the cloud was a really cool option because now it meant that I could really heavily focus on the security aspects, which I really enjoy and not necessarily have to be, uh, staying up to date on server hardware and all those kinds of things, which generally detract from you always pursuing the passions you have. Right. So that's kind of a little background on me. Very cool. Very cool. And you were, you were involved, uh, a little bit, uh, maybe a little bit or a lot with what Adobe was doing, uh, with their cloud build out on Amazon AWS. So, I mean, you've been involved with AWS, like you said, for, you know, eight, nine years. Um, yeah, very early. Very yeah. cool. So, um, Evident IO, uh, you guys focus on what's sort of now this this emerging space called continuous security monitoring. Tell me about about what you guys do. How broad is is that? And 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 you know, I guess the the big question is not only what do you guys do, but let's eventually sort of talk about you know what does security mean in a public cloud? Sort of the shared thing between the company who owns the infrastructure, their customers, and then companies like you guys that are that are helping do security. Yeah, sure. Um... I'm going to take a step back and give like about a minute of background on this and how we yeah. got to, to starting Evident was <clears throat> we were at Adobe and my team specifically was in charge of cloud architecture and security for this move to public cloud. And it was really kind of an early swan song story for Amazon because Adobe is a company that had a lot of data center investment. They have really bright software engineers, a great creative team, and they saw an opportunity. And so what my team was tasked with was really evaluate and identify all the core technologies cloud technology specifically, that we need to use to be successful. And so we looked at everything from public cloud to private cloud to hybrid, including security tools, management tools, you know, think of things like RightScale and Stratius at the time, um, tools like New Relic and Boundary. We really, like, try to prepackage these suites of, of success tools so as not only the first teams going into the cloud got there, but every team coming afterwards had a pretty predefined success strategy because they would not focus on trying to debate what tool was right and get the right technologies to be successful, but they could use something that everyone else was familiar with already. So by adopting best-in-breed tools, we saw this great uptake in just the DevOps philosophy where we rapidly delivered innovation and creative experiences to users. What kind of became troublesome for us was it was so successful that we couldn't keep up on the security side of things. And so... Uh, my co-founder and I were both uh, at Adobe. He was my security architect on the team. And his job was really make sure these teams use the public cloud as securely as possible so our user data is always safe and handled in a responsible way. And so we had these great frameworks in place. But as dozens of teams started using Amazon across you know significant number of Amazon accounts, we really lost visibility into what was happening. And we couldn't react. In a, well, we couldn't be proactive. We ended up being reactive basically all the time. 
So what it told us was, even with our knowledge of the security industry and the tools that we had, we couldn't keep pace with the adoption of public cloud technology. It was just too fast and enabled too rapid a delivery. And the industry hadn't really thought of the next step for security. So that's where we spent our time was <clears throat> departing Adobe, building a next-gen tool that was really set to match pace with the DevOps movement, the rapid feature delivery that customers are demanding of, of big enterprise and startups today. And that means you have to move into this area that we called continuous security monitoring. Um, and what that means is you have to create a tool that doesn't require someone to sit in front of it and push a button and review the results. If you think back to the old uh, security tools we had, you'd usually get some kind of scanner console on a machine or a laptop, and you'd point it at some IP addresses or some resources. You'd click scan, and it'd go for a couple hours. And you'd come back, and you get a PDF, and you look at it, and then you have to go figure out what's wrong. Well, if you map that to the cloud model, <clears throat> by the time that scan's done, people have redeployed often once, twice, maybe ten times since then. And every deployment going out is touching infrastructure nowadays. So the velocity is at a different uh, different clip. So we had to bring security back up to the infrastructure velocity. And so what Evidence is actually doing is this continuous cycle of risk and threat assessment against cloud infrastructure. So as you're deploying, we're seeing everything that's happening constantly. So any new change that comes in, we can in near real time evaluate the risk that you're creating for your organization should it be uh, like violating your security controls or your policies. It's actually very powerful for companies because one of the unfortunate trends of the industry is that the attackers have gotten very sophisticated. They've gotten very fast because they're using automation to breach companies. And they're doing it by basically doing these big, broad-reaching scans of the Internet IP space for cloud providers, looking for vulnerabilities and probing for places they can easily wedge into. Customers who aren't able to have an active continuous monitoring set up sometimes don't know that they've introduced a weakness in their you know, exterior armor. And by the time they realize it, it's often after the attackers have already found it and used it against them. So that's really the reason and justification for the continuous security emergence we're seeing in the industry. And we were pretty proud to be one of the first uh, organizations to come out with a product that really helped customers solve that problem. Yeah, no, it makes, it makes total sense. And, and when, you, when you put it in the context, you think about kind of what's going on, who's using things like AWS. In a lot of cases, it's you know, development groups that in the past had leveraged IT. Uh, maybe they liked it, maybe they didn't, but you know, IT would have had some security element to it. And and now you've got development groups that, you know, while they understand aspects of security, that's not their first thought. It's write code, develop code, post, you know, push code. And, and so I have to imagine you guys probably have a whole bunch of different kinds of customers, but you probably have a lot of 101 level stuff. And then you bring all your expertise that says, hey, let me help you make sure that, like you said, as you're moving faster and faster, you're, you're not having to worry about that aspect of it. Let, let the people who, you know, sort of, security on demand, if you will, but it's, like you said, it's keeping up with the pace that, that DevOps is moving. Oh, absolutely. And, and you bring a great point up, which is the way to scale security operations today is not to wait for a traditional IT organization to be ready for you to do some kind of quarterly audit. Once again, it's way too slow. The way to scale security operations today is to not only equip those security professionals, if your organization's fortunate enough to have them, to be much broader reaching and much, we call it kind of omniscient because with our tool, they can see across the entire organization's Amazon infrastructure, even in spanning multiple accounts. And they can get a really good idea for the trends and behaviors and the compliance of, of their organization to security policy. But then the teams themselves, if they can use the cloud technology, like literally if you can use the Amazon console, 
you can actually manage all of your security controls, even if you have 10,000 servers and a billion S3 objects, because our tools basically make it so simple. And the way we did that was we really embedded you know, decades of security experience from building other products and curated the way that we approach things. So as an engineer, you know how to go manage security groups. You know how to go set IAM policies and things like that. The documentation is wonderful on Amazon for these things. In fact, most developers are doing it through automation. So they're using CloudFormation templates being driven by Jenkins to do automated deployments. And what happens is our tool not only finds these uh, you know, configuration errors, malicious activities, things like that happening, but we call them out and then we give you the way to fix them because the product knows the context of your account. And it probably helps if we explain how a little bit. But long story short, uh, we're kind of the first security product of our kind that is entirely API-driven. Because behind the API is the one source of truth describing your infrastructure. So when we pull this data back, we can actually model your infrastructure and run near real-time security analytics and, and checks against it, tell you what security controls are working and what aren't, and then give it back to you and allow you to sort and view them in any number of ways. So you can really actually say, show me my condensed view, show me just the controls that are failing, then I can go back to my automation framework for deploying and doing config management, make a couple one-line code changes, redeploy and all of a sudden remediate a large number of potential risks. And that's all around the fact that uh, security controls have collapsed around resources now. It used to be a perimeter firewall and those kinds of things. Now you have a firewall in every instance. You have policies on your managed database and your storage objects. Um, and so you need to kind of change the, the way that you approach those topics. Okay. So it's not it's, it's getting away from the old model of deploy a bunch of probes or a bunch of agents. It's really... It's saying, let me let me put some context around here. Let me do some some backend analytics. And, and like, if you look at your interface, your interface is really beautiful. I mean, it's you know, it's very simple to sort of look at where you have resources. You click down on it. It, it highlights you know status, low 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 problem, medium problem, high problem. But what yep. in essence, it's it's getting away from this idea of every single device that you're sort of having to look at and and you know console logs and and. You know, sys logs that are or security logs that are like a thousand miles long. It's totally yeah. Uh, no, it's, it's very very cool. It's you know the more I kind of look at it and the more I dig into it, it's like it's what you want security to be. You know, which is let's make it simple. Let's kind of get it out of the way of things so it's it's not disrupting what you do. But when there are problems, you're making it simple to kind of find where where those things are and and you know put them in sort of native, simple looking interfaces. Yeah, I mean fundamentally. The problem to date has been his security was put on the sideline mm-hmm. when the DevOps team and the business teams took the veto away from the traditional IT security team. You used to be able to say, nope, security is going to make our life painful. We veto this project. You're not going anywhere until you fix these things. Um, but now the business teams and the engineering teams and the DevOps teams say, the market opportunity is so valuable for our organization. We're going to live with this risk and we're going to come back to it. And so... Companies aren't going to slow down. They're not going to stop adopting the technology. What has to happen is you have to make it part of their process, Like just like when they're doing code fixes or they're adding new infrastructure or tweaking their CloudFormation templates, for example. Now they're going to be tweaking and managing security controls at the same time in near real time. And when a deviation happens, the platform lets you know and you just fix it right back. So when you talk about things like compliance, now you're actually seeing when we introduced a problem, when we detected it, when we fixed it, and you have like this measurable security SLA where it was never available before. So when we talk about security things that you can do in the cloud that was never available in the, in, the, in the history of man, that's some of those cool things that you can do now that's going to make everyone's life a heck of a lot easier as we get up over this hump of, you know, we're worried about security, we're worried about security. 
the truth behind it is the security is better than it's ever been before. And people just have to realize that it's going to be a little bit different. Right. But that's okay. Yeah. Now, now dig into this a little bit because you know, you, you just kind of got done talking about, you know, DevOps teams integrating, uh, you know, cloud formations into Jenkins and doing these continuous deployments. And a lot of times you hear folks kind of go, well, that's all well and good, but, but security is kind of a rigid model. So like talk about how, you're trying to to bring security to this sort of dynamically changing environment um, and doing it without, I, I guess, breaking stuff. Because because for a lot of folks, that sounds very much like oil and water. Yeah. Well, you know, people generally try to think of them that way. And it's because they come from different mentalities. Um, your engineering and DevOps organizations are trying to get features in the hand of customers as fast as possible, get the feedback and make a better product. Yep. The security team is trying to protect those customers from malicious actors on the internet by putting in best practices and behaviors. Where they disagree is because they're speaking different languages most of the time. And we saw this in the dev and ops world before uh, you know, DevOps really started to take off, where teams would just butt heads because they were using different languages and had different concerns. You can call it sec DevOps or DevSecOps. Um, what we actually call it is you know, teams being enabled to manage their own security. Okay. And just like developers are now able to manage their own infrastructure and be more agile, by putting security in the hands of more people, they're going to bring security to the table in every discussion. They're going to think in a security context. I mean, the engineers aren't dumb. They're very intelligent individuals, but they've always been in this adversarial conversation. When you tell them, you know what, <clears throat> just like if you have infrastructure problems and you're going to get called to fix it, just like when there's security problems, you're going to have to be on the line to help out because you're partially responsible. We're all in this together as an organization. It becomes a very different conversation. And we saw this uh, at Adobe when we were first, you know, kind of adopting DevOps on a broad scale. People worried about everything from it's we're gonna it's gonna replace our jobs to um, you know what happens to ops, what happens to engineering, you know, where does security fall? And we heard all these concerns. Once people stopped thinking about the concerns and actually embraced it and said, how do we work together as a group? Great things happened. So I think it's really getting past a lot of this FUD that's out there. Uh, and teams all of a sudden get to this state where they understand that, hey, as we become multidisciplined, not only do we become better engineers, but our organization and our product becomes better. So it's really a win-win across the board. And it just takes people dropping the defenses and having a rational conversation to get there. Okay. So it's really kind of a little bit about transparency, a little bit about education. And and to a certain extent, you know, one of the ways to, to make this happen is you've got to make the tools or the environment easy enough that they they don't feel like a burden to 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 engage and to to include in your in your uh, in your environments and so forth. I have to imagine. Absolutely. I mean, part of the part of the design decision that went into us being an agentless platform and being low friction. I mean, literally when we were done, the way it stands today is you can set up the evidence security platform and have your global risk and threat assessment for your total Amazon infrastructure in less than five minutes. So that's important important for someone, especially in a DevOps position, because in a day they've got 100 things to do and they can't spend 24, 48 hours, six weeks, six months doing evaluations and testing and performance analysis, rolling out agents, these kinds of things. Um, that legacy mentality impedes their ability to get their job done. Yeah. What you want to do is you want to create enabling tools, tools that help them get their job done better without creating burden and giving them the opportunity to sleep at night, which is something I would have greatly appreciated had a tool like this existed. Yep. Because you know that in the event something happens, you kind of have your automated watchdog there, and it's going to reach out and grab you in the event that you need to respond to something. You don't have to go to sleep worrying in case if I did I miss something, is something happening when I'm sleeping? Um, 
it really is just a better quality of life for the engineer. Yep. Yep. And, and I have to imagine because it, you know, it's, it's built around what, what, like you said, it's, it's built around APIs. It also has the flexibility then if you want to integrate it with other tools. So you want to use a, you know, a pager duty or any other tool that you can link into an API and it's going to send off alerts or something to an ops team or, yep. Have, yep. Very cool. Totally. And, and part of that is, you know, we wanted to design and build and deliver a best of breed security product as a service. Yep. And we want to embrace, like everyone else, best in breed services to connect with our customers. So when we're going to send alerts out to you. It's going out through PagerDuty. I'm not going to go recreate an on-call tool. They've got an awesome one. Yep. And in fact, most ops organizations and DevOps teams came to that conclusion already and are using it. So why not hook into the tools that they want to use? And so that's part of our flexibility is that not only are we designed around provider APIs, we're customers of API services to connect back to our customers. So it's all one big, nice ecosystem. We're kind of playing a key role in there as both a provider and a consumer. Very cool. Very cool. Now, let's, you know, security is one of those things where, you know, it doesn't always get talked about. Uh, but sometimes when it does get talked about, it's because bad stuff happened. Um, you know, most folks, uh, at least in our industry, heard about code spaces, um, you know, uh, good business, unfortunately, did a few, you know, made a few mistakes from a security perspective. Uh, some bad stuff happened to those guys. When you look at something like that, um, you know, obviously, that's something that all of a sudden people become aware of it. They start asking questions and they start asking like, well, what do I do? How do I avoid that happening? How do you, how do you answer, how do you talk to a customer who may have just read a couple of those headlines and goes, oh my gosh, Amazon's terrible. They're insecure. Like, how do you, how do you structure that conversation? I think the first part of the conversation is you sit down and you analyze kind of what happened with them in a real honest way. Thankfully, they were pretty transparent. They gave a lot of good data on their website explaining what happened. They're trying to do the right thing by their customers. Yep. Um, the engineer in me wants to jump out and be a fixer and be like, oh, we could have saved that. or you know." But you really don't know the scenario, and every organization is very different. And every incident, as far as a security response incident, is very different. So what happens is you look at it holistically and say, <clears throat> what could have been done a little bit better? What could have been uh, a lesson we can take away from this? And I, I use kind of a – it's a slightly morbid phrase, but it's like you know, a Titanic has to sink to improve maritime safety. Um, you learn from these things and the community as a whole, if anything else comes out of this, will have a better mindset around what they need to do to defend themselves. Um, startups are especially vulnerable to breaches and attacks due to the high cost of remediating them and due to the reputation damage they can do, especially with the virality and social approaches many people take. Yeah. Um, I think what comes of this is when you look down at the practices that were in place, they seem to be doing a lot of the right things around disaster recovery and backups and those kinds of things. But they did so within a very scoped view. And then they hadn't quite gotten to the security strategy yet. And, you know, this is my opinion on what I've read. But I think there was some security controls not in place. They didn't have detection mechanisms in place to know when people were creating users on their systems and, and things like that. And it just became an amalgamation of bad events piling on bad events until they were kind of so far gone that they couldn't recover from it. And uh, it cost them a business and unfortunately cost some engineers a job. Yeah. I think that it was all good people. They'll probably have a, a you know easy time going and finding jobs because they've got great experience sets. But what we can take away from it is understanding that security is not a one-time practice. It's an ongoing and continuous thing you have to be engaged in. So when you think that we're still in the early days of what we consider cloud security, uh, you can't think about how things used to be done in the legacy data center space. 
because those capabilities that you had then are not the same as they are now. Yeah. Some controls will carry over, like how we do perimeter firewalling or how we do host-based firewalls and user rights management. Some controls are still finding their way to mass adoption, right? This is like multi-factor authentication on everywhere you can put it. Uh, I still don't understand why our, our online banking institutions don't have it everywhere. But, you know, what do I know? I'm just a security guy. Right. <laughs> um, doing things like least privileged IAM policies and roles for every user. A lot of people are just still kind of saying, you know what? If we have 10 domain admins going back to the Windows days, that's okay. Um, it's really not anymore due to how sophisticated spear phishing and, and credential theft has become. Um, and, and similar things like that. Those are still finding their way to mass adoption. Some people use them. A lot of people don't. And they're starting to get market penetration. Yep. But then you have a lot of controls that just haven't been adopted, and it has to do with a number of things. Um, first, new capabilities. So if you think about, they said they were in a DDoS attack. Um, when you talk about DDoS in general in the cloud, unlike a data center where you have constrained pipes, constrained server accounts, those kinds of things, in the cloud you have none of that. You just have a credit card attached to an account with elasticity. So what we've seen is when you get a, an application-level DDoS, you just scale up massively around it and eat it up because they're paying to attack you and getting a certain amount of resource on their side from the malicious actor standpoint. You can actually exceed their capacity in the cloud relatively easily. And not only that, you give your customers a better quality service because you have more resources handling their requests coming in. So it's kind of a win-win for an organization. And once again, when you talk about quality of life, you don't have an engineer sitting there trying to fight it for 60 or 80 hours. You have them scale up and then an hour to start watching monitoring and go back to their business. So, we talk about the things we learn, I think it's awakening for people to say, you know what, they did some best practice things that were maybe legacy best practices, but they hadn't embraced the next generation best practices and become proactive in the way they were managing security. And a lot of organizations are coming to that realization today. And it's because they've gone through the DevOps process, they've learned about continuous delivery and integration and the value and the pain it can bring. And they're seeing that same philosophy applied to security as a really good way to a better place than the way they've been before. Yep. And I think that's a, that's kind of a good assessment of it. Yeah. No, and, and I think, you know, the only thing that, that people ought to take away from this is, um, you know, and again, it, like you said, nobody knows all the details of what happened with these guys. But, I mean, Codespaces was a company that, that had been in business for a number of years. This wasn't like, hey, we just spun up 100 Amazon instances and we screwed something up and somebody took us out of business. Like, these guys had yep. been in business um, – you know, I'm sure over the years they had done various security assessments and people, you know, they kind of have to realize like, you know, the pace of business is changing. Like you said, the attack vectors are changing. And, and more importantly, you know, I'm sure over time they've had turnover in people and people tend not to document stuff. People change. Um, so, you know, I think people need to start getting into the mindset of it's like, you know, security isn't when I buy something from my security vendor, it's, it is an ongoing thing. It is an ongoing kind of evaluation. You have to be keeping up with what's going on. And, um, like you said, hopefully this is, you know, isn't just an unfortunate incident, it's an incident where people look at it and go, okay, what can I learn from it and hopefully get better at it and stuff. So. Oh, for sure. I think one thing that's important with what you said is when you talk about security vendors kind of dropping things in your lap and then you having to manage them, we see that as like a historical trend. I think what we're going to see going forward, just like you see with, Chef and Puppet and config management companies are doing a great job of engaging customers. Um, the next generation of security companies are going to be very customer-focused because what you need is a security partner and not a security vendor, right? And that's the fundamental difference, and that's one of the things that we set out to actually operate and do because we were those security guys on the other side of the equation. 
we hated that behavior. And uh, in this highly connected society, uh, you're not only going to have them as a customer today, but you're going to have them as a coworker tomorrow at your next job. And you're going to have them as a friend at a barbecue the next week because we all run in the same circles. We all have the same interests. And it just pays for us to like not only just be nice to each other, but help each other out because it really does help you know, our entire uh, workforce and our entire technology industry. Yeah, no, absolutely. So one last question, because uh, we're going to, we're going to kind of wrap it up, but I won't let you go, but this has been, this has been good. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of companies will talk about AWS, um, you know, offer, you know, beyond just the services they offer infrastructure as a service or cloud formations, but they're beginning to kind of offer, you know, add on kind of tools like a monitoring or something you guys obviously are a little bit biased because you, you, you provide a service in the ecosystem, but talk a little bit just from a security perspective about, you know, as people are thinking about, do I use all the native tools from the same vendor or do I consider third parties? Like what are the pros and cons people need to consider in terms of, you know, what infrastructure that, that external tool is using, where they keep their data, you know, wh- where's a good place to have separation between sort of operations and security monitoring? What, what's your thinking around that space? I think like with any service, it's always good to have cross checks and checks and balances in place, right? So I think that, you know, my, my selection bias as a service provider would say, you always want someone that's not the person providing the service to you to be cross-checking the service. You see this in like a keynote or Gomez doing web monitoring for your application kind of thing. But on the same side, Amazon's got some great toolkits. They're building some great products and services and it helps people be very agile and accelerate their development by leveraging them. So I think where you can, you use the tools they have, but as you become more advanced, you get into more complex situations, you need to leverage the external marketplace because they're delivering solutions that are going to solve broader problems and bring more advanced capabilities than the provider's uh, level of sophistication is going to bring by default. Yeah. No, I think that, I think that makes good sense. And I think, you know, from, from the little bit of conversations I've had with AWS about it, I think they, they feel like they owe their customers some basic entry level stuff, but they're not trying to block the innovation that's happening around the ecosystem to, to allow folks to bring expertise or to, to go after certain problems and so forth. So I think it's right now it feels like a pretty good balance between the two. Yeah, but I think that's part of the part of the story of their success. And I think that Google and IBM SoftLayer and Rackspace and Azure are all learning that lesson as well. So I think it's going to be good for the industry because it creates a very rich ecosystem of partners that help companies use the best of breed cloud service and technologies in the best of breed way. Yep. No, very, very cool. So well listen, man. Um for folks that want to learn more about Evident, obviously you can go to your website. You guys have a cool, you know, uh, two-week free trial thing. But uh, where are you guys speaking? What events are you kind of at? What's a good way for people to kind of uh, learn more about you guys or engage with you? Oh, absolutely. So uh, we're going to be at the Amazon New York Summit on July 10th. So we're going to have a booth there. Please stop by and check it out. Uh, awesome free T-shirts like uh, Brian <laughs> mentioned before. Um, we'll be at reInvent again this year. Uh, absolutely. In fact, we've got a couple of. Uh, talk submitted so we hope to be bringing some security knowledge to the audience there and then keep an eye on meetup groups we're hitting a lot of the aws meetup groups to spread the message of security and really help people get the best out of the platform and uh basically have the safest possible cloud computing experience they can because that's never a bad thing so yeah absolutely practice safe computing so well listen well listen man thank you so much for coming on tonight really appreciate it um you know aaron i'll be back uh next couple of shows folks and um, as always you know tell a friend if you like the show leave us a review on iTunes Uh, you can always follow us 
uh, on Twitter at the Cloudcast or on the web at thecloudcast.net for links to the show and all the social media stuff. So, uh, Tim, thanks again for being on tonight. Good, good conversation, and uh, folks, have a great weekend. <laughs>